listening to SBS on the Money with Ricardo Gonsalves. Hi everyone, it's your daily 10-minute business and finance news wrap for this Thursday, the 22nd of December 2022. Later, I'll be speaking with one analyst who says China's recovery from COVID is being underestimated by many people in the market. But first, let's go to gift cards. Christmas shoppers are being warned to understand the pros and cons of buying them. For more, I spoke earlier with Sally Tyndall from Rate City. Sally, first of all, what does the legislation say about gift cards? Well, the legislation that came in in 2019 says that gift cards must have a minimum of three years expiry on it. You cannot include post-purchase fees, so you can't charge someone, for example, for checking their balance, uh, but also that they need to write clearly on the purchase when the card expires. There are exemptions to these rules, but by and large, these are the rules that gift cards now have to abide by. Do you know what those exceptions are? Yeah, absolutely. Companies where they're providing a service where you can reload purchases or money on the card, top money up, for example, uh, uh, cards, vouchers that are offering something for free or at a discount as part of a marketing and promotional campaign, Anything that comes as part of an employee reward program is also exempt and anything with a deadline on it, such as a concert where, you know, the concert is happening in July of next year. There's no three-year minimum expiry on that kind of gift card. Now, it's not necessarily all so clear-cut, though. What are some of the restrictions some retailers are applying? Oh, yeah. So, for example, you've got some services, particularly ones where you're buying cold, hard cash that comes loaded on a card. They can often come with exorbitant fees. We tested one out where you bought a $500 gift card that was money that you can redeem through MasterCard or Visa, uh, but it came with over $21 worth of fees. That's a huge amount to pay just to give someone a gift. Uh, Anything that, you know, you can't relate, redeem online, for example. There are some stores where you would naturally, some people would want to buy something online and you actually can't redeem it online. So just check the terms and conditions about how people can redeem it. And then a big one, a really big one, is whether they let you get small amounts back in change. So often you can get to the near the, the end of a gift card, you can have under $10 worth of change and the store won't give that back to you as money. And so you wander around the store looking for something else uh, to get your $10 back and you end up actually buying something you don't need and spending some of your own money as a result. Or worse still, you just toss it away and you throw that money, that spare change away. Option there for people is to just, you know, think about what you might need. Think about giving it to a friend or giving it to someone next in the queue if you're not going to be able to use that change. The other thing I noticed is is that sometimes gift cards go on sale. So even though a a $100 gift card, you may be able to purchase it for, say, $95, right? But what, what do consumers need to know about that? Well, there's some really good deals out there at the moment. I've seen a few where you can buy your groceries at a discount 
Um, and which could be a great opportunity if you're about to buy Christmas dinner for your family or something like that. But just really mindful of those fees again. If you're getting, say, a 3% discount, but you're spending 2% in credit card service fees, then, you know, a 1% saving might not be worth it. Also, if you do go down that route, make sure you don't lose the cards because, you know, a $25 savings might seem really good, but if you lose the card, you might be up for a $500 disaster instead of a $25 savings. So really be mindful of keeping um, that card in a safe space. And finally, so ultimately, I give cards uh, a good present. Oh, I think they're a fabulous option for someone who's impossible to buy for, particularly because you can buy those cards these days where they can redeem it at a number of different stores. It can also be a really practical gift for someone that's having trouble making ends meet at this crazy time of year where everything is just such a huge expense. So, you know, buying something like a supermarket card could be a really nice way, considerate way to give someone a, a helping hand. But of course, again, you've really got to think about who you're buying for. Make sure you're buying for someone that will actually redeem the card. There's nothing more frustrating than giving someone a gift card only to find out a couple of years later that they never actually redeemed it. And just make sure that it suits their purposes as well. Again, don't give your, uh, I don't know, your husband a, a gift card to a fashion store for women uh, nor don't give your uh, wife a card to Bunnings unless she's really into into um, home renovations. Sally Tyndall there from Rate City. Let's now take a look at the share market. The S&P ASX 200 are up by half percent today, 7,152. China in focus. For more, I spoke earlier with Raymond Chan. He's an advisor at Morgan's. Well, the Australian stock market opened higher on the back of um, better than expected um, uh, resale from the US and also their consumer uh, data appear to be also better than expected. So, you know, after a few few days of sell-off, we have, you know, two good days for, for the Australian share market. However, while we open a little bit higher, the market fading into the afternoon, why, you know, it's still up, but, you know, the volume, very, very thin. Most of the funds manager are now on leave. So uh, it's usually come at a time of very thin trading, lack of energy. But, you know, we're still in a, uh, a seasonal strong season. So the market is still holding our gain, uh, but not as much as this morning. Raymond, let's focus on China if we can for a bit. Penny Wong is returning home from China right now. It was the first time an Aussie official visited China in about three years. How crucial is the thawing of relations between China and Australia for investors? Well, uh, there's a number of positive I can see. First of all, let's take a step back. Uh, Australia at the moment is running a record current account surplus. So we are doing a lot of export of our LNG and coal. That certainly bring in a lot of wealth. Any improvement uh, between uh, uh, China and Australia will certainly strengthen uh, our, our trade, especially in the LNG area. Uh, remember, China remains our number one trading partner. So any any gesture, any improvement, I, I can see only positive for our Australian economy. So that's the first thing. Uh, the second thing, of course, uh, lesser known, maybe, you know, the China, the Chinese airline at one stage before COVID, they account for 20, 30% of our, of our airline capacity. 
So a return of the Chinese airline, especially the budget airline, will certainly improve um, um, uh, our airfare over here. We don't have to pay as high as the airfare we have to afford. So uh, this, I think, is an important feature for next year. Last but not least, is the regulatory risk. A number of our industry uh, uh, suffer from, you know, uh, a lot of uh, regulatory uh, hurdle uh, from China, ranging from the infant formula as well as our wine industry. Any improvement there could see some potential benefit for our industry as a whole. Okay, um, that's interesting in terms of the way it'll impact the economy. How do you see China's economy recovering from COVID? Because it all also it's also about how they um, move away from these restrictions, right? Absolutely. You know, it's without doubt that there's going to be a lot of disruption uh, because the way they suddenly ease uh, the, the, the restriction. Uh, that, I think, you know, is a necessary phase. We call it, you know, the beginning of the end of uh, COVID zero policy over there. Uh, it's going to be, you know, cause a lot of concern for, uh, for a number of people that I can understand. But there's two key reasons. Uh, I have to be more optimistic about this reopening. Number one, uh, China is one of the few countries in the world that don't have the inflation problem. So on a year-on-year figures, China uh, inflation is only around 1.6, 1.7%. As compared to many of us, we suffer from you know 6 to 7% inflation. They don't have an inflation problem. What it means is the Chinese government will be able to... Uh, provide stimulus to the economy. The central bank, PBOC, will be able to run very easy monetary policy so to support the economy. So that's, that's one thing. Second of all, in terms of the household, um, the Chinese consumer, in fact, they make a lot of saving for the past three years during COVID. When the s- statistics I look at is their household saving gone up by 38% in the three years. And that... Uh, household saving will translate into consumption in the post-lockdown period. So, you know, th- those are the two things, you know. Yes, initially it's going to be a lot of disruption, but then uh, I'm very uh, I'm very positive about uh, the reopening. Just on top of that, the, the two things you've mentioned is exactly what the rest of the world went through, though. Lots of high, uh, high household savings, right? And then um, low inflation, which eventually rose. Why inflation just hit the Chinese like it did the rest of the the rest of the world? Do you think though, eventually? I think the issue will be less severe because what happened is the rest of the world already uh, reopened, and China is probably one of the last developed uh, well, a major country uh, to reopen. So uh, we wouldn't have the same you know supply chain uh, issue that we initially suffer. And uh, more more interestingly, in terms of the energy price, yes, it's going to be an issue there. Uh, however, I think China, when they have uh, their strategies in place and they work with their partners in terms of, especially you know, a, a visit to us, uh, a, a better relationship with Australia will ensure better uh, energy uh, and resources supply to their country. So I think the issue, yes, it, it will be an issue, but will be less severe than the rest of the world when they try to reopen together. Okay, one of the key stories to come out of the Australian market today is that BHP Oz Minerals merger taking a step forward, agreeing on a scheme did. Why do you think this is critical for BHP and its future? 
Uh, I think this is critical because it's fit into what you call a four pillars policy of BHP. BHP been talking about they they focus on the iron ore, the copper, the nickel, and of course the potash uh, uh, business. Potash is still developing very very big. Nickel they have nickel uh, nickel west. Copper they have some of the major uh, world class. Uh, uh, copper mine uh, in the world. However, the dominant earning at the moment is still iron ore, account for a bit over 50% of the earnings. The copper business is the Aussie mineral acquisition is fit into that copper business because BHP got some, in fact, underperforming copper business in South Australia. That was from the acquisition of Western mining many, many years ago. So if they can acquire Aussie mineral and combine the existing pieces together, I think we can see a better, uh, better performance from the copper division. And that certainly fit into uh, to, uh, the, the BHP long-term strategies. And more importantly, BHP are funding this acquisition from their cash flow. They don't even need to use, uh, you know, the, the existing uh, balance sheet capacity. So I think that that is a logical uh, acquisition for BHP, and that's why the shareholders give it a fun, uh, funds out. Finally, as we head into 2023, where do you see the investment opportunities? China certainly that be uh, one of the interesting area. I know you know that the the market is still very concerned about it. Uh, the funds manager that I talk to nowadays, they. They try to not talk about China. That may be exactly the time we should think about China because of the very low expectation. So now if we look at this calendar year 2022, uh, the market expect the earning of the Chinese company to be done by 22%. Next year, we only expect a 9% earning growth for Chinese company. Okay, to put it into perspective, the reopening of U.S., and Australia saw earning growth by 48% and 30%. And I think, you know, uh, the truth will be somewhere in between. Uh, when China recover, we will see suddenly far better than the 9% uh, earning growth the, the market is expecting at the moment. So China will be, an, an, uh, I believe, an un- underestimated, but, you know, will be an interesting area for 2023. Raymond Chan there from Morgans. This SBS On The Money podcast is provided for informational purposes only. The content on this podcast should not be understood as constituting advice or a recommendation. It is not personal advice and does not consider your personal circumstances or objectives. You should contact a licensed professional before making any financial decision. Thank you.